All right. Welcome to episode number 106 of Decentralized Revolution. We're, of course, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises Pack. I'm Aaron Harris. I've done most of those 105 previous episodes as the host. Uh, Liam McCollum is uh, is uh, now in the rotation, too. But more importantly, uh, something we've been planning on for uh, several weeks, if not uh, three or four months now, is we're going to do like a a live show uh, every Monday night for now and uh, kind of like a, you know, uh, Tim Pool style hangout roundtable type show. And uh, for this week, um, uh, we got to have uh, be a rotating uh, roster of, uh, of people uh, here and there, but uh, fairly stable for the first few weeks. And of course, one of the a big element of that, uh, as with everything else in the Mises caucus is Mike Heiss. Mike, how you doing? I'm good, man. What do you think of Mondays with me, Cox? That just came to me just now. Yeah, like yeah, we've been struggling with the name. How about just Mondays with me, Cox? Yeah, so we're we're going to keep everything kind of in the decentralized revolution podcast feed. Uh, this show um, and uh, the interview shows that uh, Liam and I will be doing. Uh, we'll still be doing kind of ask an Austrian type episodes uh, like Liam uh, used to be the, the host, uh, the off screen host of uh, the ask an Austrian podcast, which was separate, but now it's all kind of in the same feed. And uh, Mike, you got maybe another idea or so I'll let you tell, uh, tell people yeah. about your so, idea and about uh, who we have. on well, with us tonight. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to revamp and uh, almost relaunch the video content. You know, frankly, you know, we just haven't been doing as well as we could with the video content. Sometimes we give away, I feel like our own narrative uh, by not being as present as we could be or should be in the video realm. We've, uh, you know, we've really rely on our email to do the heavy lifting to kind of keep everybody up on what's going on with the caucus and, and all of that. And uh, that's something that we want to remedy. So we're going to do that by shooting for having three shows a week. Uh, you're going to have the, the kind of the standard one-on-one internet or uh, uh, interview format that Liam is going to be leading on. That's kind of the bringing on an author, bringing on a professor, bringing on an expert, you know, and deep diving on a book or an article or a topic, you know, to really uh, get into the nitty gritty. Show two is going to be this isn't the official title, but Mondays with me, Cox. Uh, And uh, like you said, kind of this more roundtable where we have a guest and we go over the news and try to keep it light and have some fun. And then uh, soon enough, you know, uh, I have a baby coming up here on the 8th, so I'm going to wait until after that. But then soon enough. Uh, I want to launch my own show every week um, where I kind of take on more of the cultural stuff and get back to some of the stuff that I was doing about 10 years ago, you know, uh, talking with rappers, talking with vocalists, you know, talking with artists, talking with people in the gaming uh, community, of, you know, and uh, really trying to tackle that end of it. So we'll cover the, the education, we'll cover the news, we'll cover the culture and, you know, keep everybody up on what's going on with the caucus. We'll bring in, you know, organizers and just, you know, have at it. Yeah. So Mike, tell us, uh, you, I met Brandy through you just a few weeks ago. So tell, uh, why don't you introduce her? So what, uh, one of our co-hosts for Mondays with me, Cox is going to be Brandy Bishop here. Uh, Brandy is one of our organizers from, uh, Massachusetts. I met her through, uh, Brody Elwood, who is our IT director. Uh, Brody, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and introduce yourself to the audience? Hello. (laughs) I am a Twitch streamer and artist who was, I'm a recovering commie. I used to be uh, very, very far left, uh, commie, socialist, uh, through my early 20s, and then slowly became a little bit more like on the, I guess you'd say moderate in the middle, and then made 
a transition to libertarian. So that's me. <laughs> how did how did that happen? What 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 tipped you over on this side of things? Well, I would say my gateway drug was actually Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell. Okay. Um, economically, kind of changed my mind on so like socialism. Um, mm -hmm. Thomas Sowell especially because he was also someone that came from like the communist philosophy and um, he just explains things in a very in a way that's very easy to understand so somebody's asking in the chat what uh, what platform and, and stuff where where can they find the other stuff that you do Brandy Cratrix uh, on Twitch and I'm also Cratrix underscore TTV on Twitter and Cratrix on Instagram so yeah Cratrix yeah yeah and <laughs> and we with our, our honored guest we hit we've ignored her up till now and uh, it's fitting that we have uh angela on this weekend uh mike and i were just talking in our facebook feeds my uh i, I got to meet ron paul the night of the take human action bash in uh, uh in reno a year ago i'd met him like 10 years before um and so i got to meet him again and, and get pictures with him so all this stuff has been coming up in our uh, in our memories of, of last uh, uh of last year so it's been one year since the reno reset and of course the you know nobody deserves more credit for that than angela so and you've had a very eventful 2023 so far so Ooh, yeah. how, how are you doing i i'm doing great uh, glad to be here um yeah, taking a little break away from from the baby. He's upstairs hanging out. So uh, I'm glad to be chatting with you guys, uh, helping you to kick this thing off. I love the new format. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I want to be a frequent guest. So bring me back. Um, yeah, I'm doing great. Stoked to be here. Yeah, we'll we'll see how you do tonight, and uh, see if that uh, uh, merits a return audience. But uh, you'll, you'll you'll do all right. I'm sure. Womp, so. womp, womp. <laughs> Um, uh, before we forget, you got something that you wanted to tell people about. Was it tomorrow night that you're going to be doing? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow night we're going to be live streaming from the official Libertarian Party accounts to do a recap of the, the first year of the takeover and talk about our vision and, and plans for the, for the next year. Yeah. So naturally, you might think we would get into all that tonight. But since you're doing that, you know, we'll touch on some LP stuff, obviously, but uh, uh, if you guys are interested in that type of stuff, um, uh, just go to, yeah, look at the LP's feeds tomorrow uh, to get uh, get more of the details on that. So, um, Libertarian National Committee on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, there's so, a lot of... So, so everyone's going to have to settle for what the caucus is doing, uh, not the party. That's tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so anybody do any... Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of a slow news weekend in some ways, but uh, um, uh, compared to last uh, uh, Memorial Day weekend, it's uh, very low key for me. I was uh, we were all pretty keyed up uh, last year. Spend some time with the family and finished up the data project. So that's good. Yeah, I've just been working. Same stuff okay. as usual. Okay. Um, so what, like, uh, as far as stuff in the news, like, I, it seems like this happens over and over again. Whoa. Hold it, up. Okay. Hang on. Let's not go to the news yet. I'm going okay. to touch it. Okay. Go ahead. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do our own little, how do we feel about the Reno reset one year on? Why don't we talk about it? We can't just say, oh, it's one year and then not talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll go first. So like I say, I, I was really proud of what we did there. Uh, to come on with the Mises Caucus, I think about three years before that. And, you know, I, I had a history 
uh, with the Libertarian Party in Ohio for a while, from about 2010 to 2016 or so. A lot of good people there, but like kind of the, the standard Libertarian drama just kept kind of happening over and over again. And then I was kind of out of it for a little while. And uh, the the former chair, who shall remain nameless, two chairs ago, made some comments about um, Tom Woods and, and uh, Mises uh, Libertarians. And, uh, you know, I tried to get out, but they pulled me back in, like in Godfather Aaron, 3. Aaron, that was three chairs ago. Okay. Was it, what was it now? That was three chairs ago. Okay. You had Whitney oh, Bailu, and then you had disgrace chair oh, number two. Uh, I forgot with Bishop, about and forget, then you had disgrace chair number one with the other one. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot about Whitney. That how, how long did that last? But <laughs> we all like, did. It's like the Gerald Ford. Uh, uh, anyway, but <laughs> so um, so you know, coming on. So I after he made those comments, I started interacting with Mike on Facebook and. I can't remember the details, but I remember the first interaction I had with you was not positive. I was like, who is this guy? But somehow I, I, I followed you and I got to know you. Then eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to get involved again. But if there's any of this drama and just low character stuff that, that happened, um, uh, when I was involved with the LPO, I was like, I'm out, you know, I'm married now. I have, I have an actual life. Uh, I don't need this, but so I got involved with you guys and, within the caucus like there has been no drama everybody's honest everybody works hard and so the payoff from that uh, of accomplishing I I didn't think we were going to pull it off last year I thought it would be close or that we would win but through some sort of chicanery or whatever that they would somehow take us to court or or tie things up so to to have the victory we did with you know two-thirds and more than 70 percent uh, majorities on, on all the votes. I was just really pleased and uh, I feel good. Uh, we've been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff and kind of retrenching and, and d- getting back to what the caucus is. Uh, one of the other, you know, one of the pillars always is going to be, you know, making sure that the LP is a viable brand that it can lead the Liberty movement and we can be proud of that. But then as far as training candidates and doing issues and stuff like that, you know, we've, been putting a lot of work into that over the last year so it's not been as much fun and it's not been as much like hey we have a deadline and we're excited and this is going to happen uh but uh but this is the work that we asked for so we won the right to do all this work last year so um i'm still taking a lot of satisfaction from all that oh yeah and as far as what we have been doing i mean you know we're we're revamping our content like this, you know, trying to, to form better uh, communication with the audience and with the supporters. Um, but, you know, give us Amy Lepore has killed it. Uh, you know, she she stepped in uh, not long before Reno uh, as our, our candidate support director and, um, you know, did a hell of a job last year uh, with all of our candidates. And now this year, um, you know, she is running two trainings a, a month. Uh, and, we, and we have recruited about 300 people to run either this year or next year for uh, for, you know, local office through run and the whole project decentralized revolution strategy. So, you know, she has been conducting two trainings a month, utilizing a varied uh, like varied resources for that training from the 10th Amendment Center to, uh, you know, elected libertarians to the Grassroots Leadership Academy to the Leadership Institute, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, specialized training around certain offices like sheriff. I mean, uh, she's been doing great with that. 
And uh, I don't think people realize that, that that stuff might be going on as much as it is. I, I mean, 300 candidates and, and campaign managers recruited is nothing to sniff at. I mean, that is a great start for Project Decentralized Revolution. I think if you look at the messaging of the party, um, it's been totally revamped and, and way more uh, representative of the actual movement and, and kind of back to the uh, radical roots of the party that we promised. Uh, and, you know, we're also following through on what we did with uh, issue coalitions. And, you know, Angela uh, really exemplified that by leading on the Rage Against the War Machine rally earlier in the year. Um, and, you know, we can't spoil what the party's doing. That's going to be uh, Angela tomorrow night. But yeah, I think I, I do. I'm excited about what's coming. And, and I think there's a lot coming, especially starting here in June. But what do you, how do you guys feel about it? Because, Brandy, you said that you um, you came in. You, you weren't able to go to Reno, you said. No, but I so I actually tried to get involved with the Libertarian Party around 2020 um, and it was in Massachusetts, clearly. So uh, <laughs> um, and I remember going to like the first we would have these virtual meetings and um, the first one I went to, uh, it felt like not what I was expecting. I was like, oh, these people don't even seem like libertarians. And I was a little taken aback. And then um, I remember they told me that Ron Paul was racist. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and then, like, I was like, what is going on? So that and then I tried to organize a uh, anti-mandate protest. And one of the people that was like in charge says that said that it was bad optics for the LP. And I was like, it literally says on the LP page that you guys are anti-mandate. Like, why would you why is that bad optics? So I think that it's been really good like the change from that that didn't feel libertarian at all so we've there's been an upgrade at least <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it, it, it's amazing that uh, I, i've gotten some feedback some from some kind of normie uh or and or sort of mainstreamy conservative type friends of mine over the last year that's like oh hey you guys i'm not like I, now the lp is like saying the things that I thought they were supposed to say based on what I know about you. <laughs> so it's like to not have that always having to apologize for, um, you know, something that, um, you know, somebody at, uh, or tweeted or something. Um, and yeah, it, it's great to, ha to know that, um, we're not going to be embarrassed by the, uh, by the chair of the party and, and the Twitter account and all that for, uh, cause for a while there, it was kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're doing the, uh, we're doing the things that are hard right now. You know, like, like rage against the war machine. We did get some criticism from, from that. And I don't remember you have to have to dig back through the archives. Right. And, and reason magazine a little bit too, to see how, outspoken the Libertarian Party was on the war in Iraq. I know that Scott Horton felt that they did not do as, as good of a job as they could have done. Like, my goal is to not have anybody look back at what we did during the during the time that Russia was at war with Ukraine and say, you know, the United States Libertarian Party did a crap job there. They they ruined it, they whipped the ball. Like whatever happens, like we've got to be 100% on the issues. And that's what I'm committed to leading to leading us on. And, and I think that so far we're doing a good job on that. And it's I mean, been guys, tough. It's been tough with the, the, yep. just the tenor of how, you it's know, tense. any, anybody who gets, says anything even questioning or explaining the war, that's, that's the biggest thing for me is like, even to explain maybe why this happened, 
Um, if you even start doing that and going, you know, back to 2014, they're just like, oh, what, you know, what are you pro Putin? And so to, to do what you guys did. And I know there was some behind the scenes stuff with the rally stuff that uh, uh, was really kind of tough to take. Uh, so I just appreciate uh, uh, being able to take the hit on some of that stuff. To So we're on record as as being against this whole thing. So right. it's, it's very important. We gotta be. We gotta be at the forefront on all of these issues. That's what the party should have done on lockdowns. Uh, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky that you that you stuck it out, Brandy. Uh, my, you know, there were plenty of people who looked into us. You know, right around that time, and they were like, "Ew, what?" And they saw you know our Twitter talking about wear a mask and social distance, and and they just <laughs> bailed on us. You know, and it's like I don't blame them. But, so, but that but that's the thing. Like when when you're saying, "Oh, what are you a Putin apologist?" It's it's harder to be right in the moment. Yes. But that's when it matters because yeah. when all the pain comes after, it's all opportunity cost at that point. So you have totally. to take the pain up front to be brave um, so that the historical record is in your favor. And then you have that, you build that credibility and that consistency long term. Yep. So, so we're developing the ability to take it on the chin. You know, the Libertarian Party can take it like a man. That's, that's what I want us to, to do. Well, and the ball thing gag. of it, yeah, the thing of it was with, with all the the, the the people concerned about optics, and you know we talk a lot about um, uh, behind the scenes. You know, Mike and I talk. You know, respectability politics is that yeah. that's kind of what the LP was always about. And even you know back when I get involved around 2010, it was very much uh, a lot of good people in Ohio at the time, and and they were really focused on. Uh, really playing that game, you know, wearing a nice suit, uh, uh, going to talking to the local media, playing all that game. And if we do that, then they'll put us in the, the local debates and let us get interviewed in the newspaper. And eventually, if we're professional and we play this game and we show that we're the best of the blue and the best of the red, that, you know, people will just come around and we'll win, eventually win the argument. And, you know, it, it, the, the Indiana party was, and I think still is kind of like that very sort of pragmatist respectability politics approach. And uh, that sounds nice. If you believe that American politics is what they taught you, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember the schoolhouse rock thing in like the seventies and eighties. It's like, Oh, bill becomes all mm -hmm. this way. Uh, this is, you know, the, the civics, if, if the civics book explanation of politics is true, then the Prague um, respectability politics thing is the way to go, but it's not. And so realizing that it's not that and being willing to be seen as outside uh, uh, the bounds of respectability is the only way we're going to win credibility with with people who can actually be reached. So and, and we're doing that. So. Yep. We're going to do it on more issues, too. We're just getting started. Yep. We're going to do it again and again and again. And, and so we're going to develop a, a high tolerance for pain, I think, uh, when it comes to some of these issues. But it's going to pay out for us in the long run, because, because I know Mike feels me on this. Like We've got to adopt a low time preference strategy. Yep. That's Absolutely. what we've got to do. We've got to be it's the only choice. Long uh, vision. One, one more quick uh, victory uh, that I remember from this weekend a year ago. I was getting off the plane. I, I ended up on a plane with James Gentleman, our guy up in uh, Minnesota, and uh, we got off the plane and the, the article from the Southern Poverty Law Center had just hit. <laughs> and we're, we're reading this. And I'm like, yes, we finally we finally made it on the list by those guys. So that, that that's a good sign that we really have arrived. And since then, there's been a couple of other national articles saying, 
oh, this rift within the Libertarian Party and all that. And, um, you know, and we didn't overreact to that stuff. We put the truth back out there. We just kept doing what we're doing. And uh, and it's paying off. And, and like the, the low the low time preference is the key that, you know, we're not going to, um, you know, we're not going to elect a, you know, a, a Misesian libertarian president anytime soon. Uh, but, uh, uh, but we are going to work this strategy and hopefully move things toward the decentralized revolution. And yep. it's going to take a while, but. Uh, Lost you for a second there. His internet went out for a second. Uh, I, I, it didn't go out again. I, I'm still. It, everything's been fine on my end, but I, I, li I live in Knox County, Tennessee, kind of on the the country north side out in the country. And sometimes it's uh, so I apologize. So, Mike, what what uh, go ahead? Glenn and, Jacobs uh, is doing nothing for you. Yeah, guys. I need to I need to talk to Glenn. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would say my my proudest moment, obviously, was just Ron Paul showing up, you know, like uh, people might not realize this, but he came and did that on his own you know that was that was yeah. essentially a, a a freebie uh because he supported us you know and he wanted to see the libertarian party become something that represents and waves the flag of libertarianism um so that's that's like a, an extremely proud moment for me and you know i think that was the uh the perfect rallying cry for everything that happened the next day um so yeah as, as far as what we're going to be doing as a caucus um we already did the take human action tour you know that was a, a brand new concept you know, events around the country uh, with a diverse set of speakers. You know, we made uh, made some really good contacts out of that, became uh, friends with a lot of libertarian owned businesses. That's going to, uh, you know, work for some of our future endeavors. Um, you know, we've become friendlier with uh, Fee and, and several other libertarian institutions. Um, you know, they, they're appreciative of the work that we've done with the party uh, and also did trainings at those events um, to, you know, in addition to the two trainings that we're doing a month online. So. You know, we're, we're really doing everything we can to kind of recruit people for these city council layer uh, races to nullify the feds and insulate the community from the feds. Um, so that's going to be, you know, the main thing moving forward. And, you know, I won't get into all the details, but we're going to be looking into some, you know, restructuring of our organization. Uh, we're right now the only actual legal entity that we have is the, uh, the PAC, which is uh, incredibly limiting, you know. Uh, so we want to look into opportunities to kind of, better serve our audience and better serve our support base and start creating some more, let's say, win-win uh, opportunities with, with our uh, support base instead of just like begging for money. You know, uh, right now we can't sell stuff. We can't advertise stuff. We can't, you know, there's a lot of things that we can't do. So we're looking into, uh, you know, what we can do to uh, change as a, you know, all the regulatory jargon to, uh, to, you know, better accommodate you guys with that and then uh, revamping the, the content as we, we gear up for 2024. Yeah. So we, do, we can sell a few little things now at MisesMerch.com if you want to get a T-shirt or something like that. But as far as like expanding what we can do and, um, you know, other ways to, to make this um, uh, economically vi viable and fund uh, the stuff that we want to do. So uh, we've been working hard on that too. And, okay, you know, another big uh, – you know, accomplishment we did this year is mostly Mike and, and Dave Hines, uh, that project, uh, decentralized revolution document. Um, I'll link to that on the show notes page at, uh, decentralized revolution.com slash one Oh six. Like we've gotten a lot of, um, 
great feedback from that and uh, people who have come over to the party because of that. And it really outlines our whole strategy and what we've been doing and why we're doing it um, now that, you know, after Reno happens. So if uh, you haven't read that document, uh, go to the show notes page and read that. And that'll put a lot of context into to what we've just been talking about. Then last, last thing before we get into the news, we are starting to do giveaways, try to incentivize new donors. You got two days left in the month uh, to, to qualify for this Roth. Uh, you're not going to be able to see it, but this Murray Rothbard silver round. Uh, we're giving away a couple of books. I think it was what has government done to your money? Was that what it was, Aaron? Um, I, I'm not sure because we had another it was cronyism. Batch. It was yeah, it's cronyism by uh, by Pat Newman, and I think uh, what betray- has the government done? A betrayal the American right. Rothbard's. A betrayal the American right. Yep. Yeah. So you become a donor now. Five bucks, ten bucks. Uh, you are automatically in the running for one of those books or the Murray Rothbard Silver Round. So we're going to be yeah. doing more stuff like that to again try to give back. So every little bit helps. If you want to help us get delegates in 24 to, uh, you know, implement the, the, the next things that we need to do, let's say with the bylaws or to keep the leadership in charge so that we can keep the messaging how we want it, we're going to need your support. If you want to support local level candidates who are decentralist and uh, doing the nullification thing, we need your support. So sign up five bucks, 10 months, 10 bucks, whatever you can do. We appreciate it. Takehumanaction.com. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm thinking I might just uh, I, I like this DeSantis guy in Florida. I think I might just go back okay. to being a Republican. <laughs> well, let's start there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, the DeSantis thing, like he's uh, I, I my gut take and I might be stealing Brandy's thunder on this, but like, <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's George W. Bush who's just like a little smarter and he knows that the anti-woke stuff is, uh, is the only way that he can win that Republican nomination. And and most of the stuff he's doing with that, I like, Uh, but I, I, I have no doubt that once that doesn't serve him anymore, or if he was in a different political situation that he, I think he's just a calculate. He's just, like I say, he's a smart George W. Bush. And, um, uh, I think on foreign policy, he, he would just be horrible. So that's my gut. Yeah, I mean, I think that the one thing I don't like about what he's doing within Florida, even with the anti-woke stuff, is some of it seems like a little bit of an overreach. Even if I might agree yeah. with the sentiment, it's still not. It's still giving the government too much legislative power over even what private companies do or what people do, individuals do. Um, so personally, I I don't see him in a even higher position of power. I think that that will end up that power will end up getting wielded in, in the opposite direction totally. if a Democrat gets in charge after him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If he comes in and makes some really aggressive dictates at the at the federal level on on woke policy, that's going to come and swing back and bite us in the ass really hard with the next presidency. I mean. I think we should be doing, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, from a libertarian perspective, I don't want there to be any laws, like, ever. Obviously, you know, I think it's important we protect children, you know. Yeah. I think that's really basic, you know. Like, we gotta, we, we're, we're opposed to murder. We're, we're opposed to some basic things here. We're opposed to property, property theft and damage. We're, we're opposed to hurting kids. 
But, like, dude, don't be trying to pass laws to ban, you know, drag shows from adults and that kind of crap. Like, that's the kind of stuff that makes me nervous and is going to come back to to hurt us. Like, yeah, you could just not go. Like, they're they're awful. It's not good entertainment. Just go, what, go do something. I enjoy else. them. <laughs> so what, I enjoy a good drag show. <laughs> what, what do you guys think DeSantis's, like, read of the situation is? Because um, from my perspective, like... You know, like he the, the moment and the and the environment that he's stepping into. Okay, yeah, like the one thing I do like, um, and this isn't even him per se, but I do like that like his announcement was on Twitter and there was all these millions of people yeah. and you're starting to see that um that YouTube and Apple get broken up in that way. Um, that's cool. And he raised like eight million dollars. But then you look at like, all right, well, he's going up against Trump. Um, yeah. And that's going to get, you know, nasty. There's no way you go up against Trump and it doesn't get nasty. So, like, he he is risking, you know, losing political capital over the course of the um, of the campaign. Now, one oh, thing that I, I I do see him as a smarter Bush, like you said, in the sense that he's going to be a neocon. He was at Gitmo. You know, there's some reports that he was uh, leading the torture program in Gitmo. Um, but at the same time, he uh, he has done things he has achieved things that the conservative movement has been starving for that actually right. starts to push back and punch back against the left. And he stands to lose that credibility. So like, cause I mean, do you guys really think he's going to win the nomination? No, no, I don't either. And, and, and I think, yeah. Low energy announcement. Like, you know, Donald Trump, you know, re orange man, bad, but he's like really funny. He's got, you know, yeah. what he, when he was running in his first term, he was retweeting memes on Twitter, you know, making making jokes at everybody. Like that's fun. It's it's interesting. Calling he's DeSantis is going to be a low energy Jeb. That's like, and that kind of makes me sad because I think you know, aside from some of the critiques that that Brandy had, like he's been he's done some pretty cool stuff in Florida. It's like I would rather him just like just just keep doing your thing, so you know, like you do you. So what's his read? Like, why is he even doing this? If it's that much of a long shot, because I, I think um, yeah. oh, I, I think sure what's going to happen is the, the, the center, the kind of center right, the moderate right, the, the right. establishment types, they might go for him, which is just probably going to play into Trump's hands, yeah. you know, uh, and fuel kind of the, the, the vengeance narrative. Um, so with all of that, like, what is the angle that, well, that DeSantis even has here? It, it, to me, it's a smart thing. What, he's 44. This guy's younger than I am. He's run for president. I, 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 I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that uh, somebody who could be president is now younger than me. But um, but I think that he, he it's all upside for him. So, like, if he gets in and loses to Trump, uh, he'll have credibility in the party. He'll have you know, he'll do a lot, I think, to endear himself to, I think he's going to not like, um, strictly speaking, attack Trump as to basically say, if he's smart, he's going to say, hey, Trump, you did a great job, but you didn't follow through. I'm younger. I'm better. Mm -hmm. Vote for for me. That's his tack. If he does that, he doesn't tick off the, the Trump base. If Trump wins, then then he's got Trump as a friend for four years potentially if trump loses he's he's the front runner in four years and he's still under 50 years old and if trump in the meantime if trump gets 
you know, somehow some actual legal consequences if Trump has a heart attack, like, you know, the, you know, something yeah. like that. It's basically why not be in the game because you could end up as president if something uh, happened one way or the other. Um, so I think it's all upside for him. Uh, and at the very least, he's just getting name recognition for, for four years so, from now. So you think you think um, it, it helps set him up for the future? And that there's higher upside to that than there is downside of basically, basically flaming out from Trump. Well, what are the odds that he's going to lose the governorship if he loses the primary? Oh, Probably zero. still pretty low. There, so what's the downside? Yeah, I, I think that even if he loses and loses badly to Trump in the primaries, like he can still it hold could his cost head him high. presidential. It could cause some presidential prospects in the future. I mean, I, did, did I hear you, Aaron, say that if if DeSantis won, that he would have Trump as a friend for four years? Did I hear that right? No. So if that Trump, would, yeah. if if Trump wins the nomination and somehow um, uh, uh, DeSantis plays it right and and basically makes friends, then he's going to be seen as the heir to Trumpism. I think. I think he can pull that off because oh he could I think, lose that in this if, if he, he ends up if he ends up being the darling of the moderates in the in the gop and trump really hits him on that like what you just put up from dave casey shout out to dave yeah. casey yeah um then he'll he'll get the reputation as being never trump rebranded and that's going to be tough but it but if DeSantis stays strong on those cultural hot button issues he's going to be the the one he he's going to still be more trumpian on those things than all the other wet dish rags that are in the Republican race. So uh, it is kind of a dangerous game, but I, th I think it's, unless he's a complete idiot, I think he can still be very, very conservative and appeal to the post Trump party and not reveal how much of a company man he is. I think he's yeah. slick enough to do that. There are also just a lot of people who, who liked Donald Trump, but they're just burned out on it. They're just burned yeah. out on the revenge narrative, but they're still Republicans. They're still going to vote for him. I don't yeah. know. I actually think DeSantis has like a little bit of a chance because I think that a lot of Republicans are burnt out on Trump. Yeah. Well, I don't you know, know no I one see... thought Trump had a chance. And then. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Even though I kind of I like Vivek. The, yeah. The well, if there's anyone in the GOP that I'm rooting for, it's him. And if there's anybody yeah. in the Democrat Party I'm rooting for, it's RFK. Yeah. V yeah. V Brandy Vivek who? Ramaswamy? <laughs> did I say it right? Did I butch it? Remember I just it? asked you that because I know you were having trouble the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just though, call him Vivek, right? Yeah. First name Honestly, basis, though, we're boys. <laughs> when you when you look at at Vivek and and he's got some great. I mean, he just did an interview with Tom Woods. Yep. Um, you know, he did an interview with Michael Malice. He just did a great interview with Jordan Peterson. Um, you know, when you the the, the basis of of his uh, campaign is you know big government and big business if you go to rfk the basis of his campaign is big government and big business i actually think that if we have a a solid libertarian candidate that there's an opportunity with uh to almost like uh make like make friends with both of them and kind of create this whole bulwark of yeah we have like a fascist takeover that's happening and it's both of them you know mm -hmm. um and, and then this is another thing where, where libertarians like like the LP taking back the narrative is so important. We have not like the LP has not done a very good job of grappling with the realities of corporatism, you know, and, and how it blurs the lines. 
And and um, I think we have a really good chance to assert ourselves in that realm and um, build up our credibility by kind of, you know, call it an alliance or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely from the sidelines rooting for RFK. Now, I know people say, oh, well, he's bad on guns and he's bad on the environment. I know. But the, the Democrat Party is bad on that things on those things. And they're bad on war and they're bad on censorship and they're bad on these other things that he's great at. So I would love to see the Overton window of the left you know, at least in those aspects, come our, our direction and see essentially normal people who are happen to be leftists reassert themselves. And it, and he's pushing it. He's pushing it in, in our direction. He's literally showing up at Porkfest. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. RFK he was just at the Bitcoin conference. That's, That's awesome. We are we are moving that over to window. We're everybody wants to court our vote in this election. So, so that's great. And, and Vivek, I know he's been on Tom Woods show before, but but the fact that he's moving in these circles, you know, and trying to, to court, you know, some sort of libertarian appeal is, is great. Like this is this is what we want. You know, obviously we want our candidate to get in there and to, and to make the impact. But short of that, we want everybody else adopting our ideas. So I think it's win win already. It's it's win win and, and I could already hear it now. Mike is saying that we should support the Democrat or something like that. These are primary candidates and they're not going to win. Yeah. The, 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 if, if, if there's anybody that we stand to gain who is on the left, it's going to be a JFK or an RFK guy. Yep. If there's anybody who's in the GOP that we stand to get, it's going to be a Vivek guy. Yeah. You know what Absolutely. I mean? So like we have nothing to lose, in my opinion, by, you know, kind of almost forming, forming like an alliance with these anti-establishment primary candidates. Because, I mean, think about it. When's the last time you saw this? I mean, you had Tulsi who was the anti-establishment candidate on the Democrat side, um, you know, last time around, but that's it. I can't remember a time when you had solid anti-establishment primary candidates like this from both sides who were more or less united on the narrative. Well, wasn't Bernie technically anti-establishment? He right? was. The <laughs> <laughs> <He was, laughs> word is was. Yeah. Was. Yeah. Anti-establishment <laughs> trademark. Yeah. So here's my question, and I'm curious to know Angela's take on this, because as, you know, uh, the the libertarian presidential candidate, the vote total in various states has implications for ballot access and, and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm, well, in the front of my mind, I'm worried. I am thinking that there will be at least one uh big challenger candidate to the Republicans and Democrats of, you know, whether it's RFK or Vivek mm -hmm. or this guy or that guy or like a fusion ticket. Like I, I think there's a real possibility that the LP finishes fourth or fifth this year. If a couple of high, um, you know, uh, uh, people like, you know, RFK could be like a Ralph Nader type um, uh, something like that. So do you see there being a, a non, libertarian no. non-green candidates no because no one else has has laid the groundwork for ballot access ballot access has gotten harder and harder to obtain yeah um, I'm, I'm pretty plugged in in that area there's there is a group that says they're not a political party that is working to get ballot access called the no labels party and they just had a a big um setback we'll call it that uh to be polite in the state of maine I think that they were hoping to run a fusion like unity ticket that was going to be very moderate and very centrist. And they are understanding how difficult it is to really get ballot access and to also have like some sort of like branding, trying to slap this thing together at the last minute with ballot access is 
is a hard sell sometimes to people because they're like, well, who are you and what are you about? And if you say, I'm just kind of like uh, things and stuff and like a placeholder and I don't have a candidate yet, but what if I did? That's not really a very compelling argument. So I'm not worried about it. I do think we're going to have a lot of people courting our vote at the last minute saying, I want to run on your ticket. Um, I don't think that's going to be RFK Jr., it's not confirmed, but I'm starting to kind of get the vibe that he might have signed that little Democrat uh, unity pledge. Uh, which uh, RFK? It's like, yeah, the, the little commitment I don't think to so. vote. I don't think so. When he, when he, I'm, I would be curious to hear why you think that. And the reason I don't, I think mm-hmm. not, uh, is in the interview that he had with Counterpoints the other day, they actually pressed him on this and, and said like, well, you know, if push comes to shove, yeah. would you endorse it? And he's like, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't endorse anybody uh, who isn't against the war. Yeah. Um, And when push comes to shove, he won't answer whether or not he signed the pledge. So what that comes to me is that he wouldn't make an endorsement, but he would not, he would not, um, he may not publicly do it. His, Mm. there's going to be a workaround. Like he's certainly not going to flip and endorse anyone else. I think he did probably sign it, but, but we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I have a friend who who used to work for Bernie, you know, con- contacting his super delegates, okay. and and he has some some feelings, some things to say about about the whole situation. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that would be disappointing because I, I I think yeah. if if he holds up this uh, this energy throughout the entire primary season, that he has his his own opportunity of having his own little uh, like Ron yeah. Paul moment in the Democrat Party. Totally. Um, and you know a big part of that was ron basically saying like no (laughs) like i'm not i'm not playing that game and he probably still will and i don't think that he'll he'll be like bernie sanders and literally take the knee but what what bums me out is the thought that that energy wouldn't come then to here you know to people who were liberty-minded especially the medical freedom movement they're all in on him just because of medical freedom other Mm -hmm. they're really libertarians right they're not gun grabbing democrats they belong like with us because the medical freedom movement is part of our movement for individual sovereignty and liberty. But I'm afraid that we're not going to get that energy if he just kind of is like, uh, it didn't work out. I guess I'll just, you know, kind of go into hiding. Like that would be a bummer. I think I just have trust issues with all politicians. So even sure. what they say at face value, I'm like, I don't like even Vivek and RFK. I can't, like, I can't even endorse anyone or, like, feel, like, confident in any of these people because I feel like they all could be lying to us. I don't What's know. What's the background? Isn't he business? Right? Okay, what, business what kind owner? of business? I actually don't know. What I kind of business? I think the business I, off the top of my head. I, I think he's Polish, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Vivek, what is his what is his business? No, he, background? he no, he's what like uh he's he uh, was an investor. He was like a CEO of some like uh, biotech companies or something. Yeah, like that. I thought it was Bio-pharmaceu- something in biotech. Biopharmaceutical company, Rivet Sciences, in 2014, working as an investment partner. Picking up what I'm putting down. Mm. Yeah, pretty sure yeah. he's he's against the the the, the jab. Well, though. I'm sure I'm sure he's opposed to the woke poke. Um, That's yeah. I feel like they just say what they think people want to hear and what they think is going to get them attention and votes and what's like what so, the populist kind of 
after, player of the week. After after leaving Roy Vent, I'm I'm just reading Wikipedia. Yeah. After leaving uh, Roy Vent in 2021, he co-founded and is the executive chairman of Strive Asset Management, an investment firm opposed to the environment, the ESG uh, framework. That's good. So my concern is is not that he's doing anything nefarious. It's that you know when it comes to like you know like my views on on medical freedom and transparency and quite frankly what you should 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 not put in your body that maybe we're just not on the same page. And I wouldn't even think that it would be anything intentionally dishonest. But there's just there's going to be some sort of our values that don't align. Does that make sense? Someone who's heavily invested in bio. I kind of feel that way about RFK too, though. Like, especially with the climate, not so much the bio stuff. He's very good on medical medical freedom. freedom. Yeah, not that, but like more so with like the climate, his stuff like that. And even I've read some of his older, some of the stuff he said a, a while ago. And I don't know, it just... I feel like if he won, I think he would definitely sign in a lot of legislation that Democrats want him to. Like, I think that he could yeah. be moved in their direction. It's so, fascinating. Like, I, <laughs> okay, so so let's let's break down RFK Jr. because I think this is really like kind of interesting, and and maybe this is what happens when you have a compartmentalized worldview instead of a holistic worldview that's based on like philosophical. Uh, premises and absolute truths. He has been very red pilled over this, like, you know, lockdown thing. And he was already like very much pro medical freedom against mandatory things that we're not supposed to talk about on YouTube, all of that. Right. But then hardcore um, climate change kind of, kind of weirdo. And, and he got, you know, had this really bad experience with being labeled like a nut job. And I know he's very opposed to all the COVID policies, but all of that stuff, like, um, all of that medical tyranny and ESG, like climate hysteria, it's all pushed by the same global forces, like the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, how does that how does that jive? Like, you hate one half of their policies, but the other half of their policies you're totally on board with. That's yeah. like a weird uh, space to occupy. Yeah. It also just I don't know. I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. Deep that down, makes sense. So. So, like, it's like he, he hates. <laughs> half of what the wef is doing but the other half yeah. is going to be like you yeah, know right like I, I don't i don't really get that yeah yeah i think that for someone who's like the deep state literally murdered his uncle on you know in right. front in front of the world that you wouldn't right. be totally red-pilled like uh, but he does come from that sort of good government uh generation and you know if you read you know look at what rfk and jfk said about uh you know what government can do and stuff that rfk still has a little bit of that and you know he is a you know so he's an interesting guy but like i i think that again i i he's hopefully if this were uh, a civilized country with an actual media and he actually got some some decent uh you know unbiased coverage i think that he could really move the democrat debate in a in a healthy way. And I still think he will some, but like, it's clear that like every time he's mentioned by anybody, it's, um, uh, vaccine, uh, uh, conspiracy theorist, RFK and and all that. So like, just from that perspective, like the fact that, you know, so many millions of people in this country, like don't 
believe anything the medical establishment says about that stuff anymore. Like it'll just like, I think that a lot of people will start looking down the rabbit hole because of RFK. uh, And he was on CNN though. Like, so it's not like they're completely ignoring him. They let, they, I watched the interview of him on CNN. So they're giving him a little bit of attention, but there definitely was, I don't, they obviously were pushing against the vax Trump stuff. Trump was slice of the pie, too. I mean, they're like, we're dying, our ratings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Please. And like, they, they, they gave airtime to Ron in 2012 as well. They just did what you described. Like, they tried to hit him on, well, you're crazy because of this thing and that thing. Another thing that I think that sets um, him and, and probably uh, uh, Vivek apart is just their their demeanor. You know yep. what I mean? And like and, and and they seem like more or less normal, compassionate people. And there's a lot of good people who have this kind of tinge of white or a tinge of blue pill weakness to them, like where you described Aaron is like still believing in good government. And I think it's mostly older people. I mean, you know, if, if we're being honest, we're all coming from this like radical libertarian, if not wow. anarchist uh, p- perspective where it's like it's actually evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and um, that's just not in the framework for for a JFK. Uh, Jesus, I keep doing that in RFK and um, and, um, you know, and and, and it's certainly not uh, there for for Vivek either. Um, And I and I like Jordan Peterson is another one. I love Jordan Peterson um, for, you know, his, uh, you know, his work on meaning and and all of this stuff. Um, But I I identified it way before he ever went to uh, the Daily Wire of like, yeah, he still has a, a fair bit of trust for institutions Right. Um, yeah. And and, uh, you know, that's going to lead him into some bad positions. And then then he goes to the Daily Wire. He starts talking about politics more. And then, boom, that starts manifesting. And uh, yeah, I think I think you will see that. But I don't know that it's like a character thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's how I feel about Vivex, you know, biomedical stuff and, you know, therapeutics for autoimmune disorders that may or may not. Yeah. Things you could put in your body that may or may not do worse things to you than, than what we've saw, seen over the last uh, couple of years. I'm like, ugh, I don't know about that. But I don't always think that that's a character thing. I think it's just people don't realize, you know, how, how bad it is um, when we talk about side effects and things of that nature. Same with his reform the Fed uh, position. Uh, that that blows my mind. But then, then again, you know, I'm coming from the perspective of wanting to end it. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing. Reform the Fed? Wasn't that a. Didn't Ron Paul say that too, though? Well, that was audit. Well, Ron Ron Paul was end, Rand was audit, audit and now now we're down to reform. Vivek is reform. Oh, okay. Okay. And also, Vivek, he said something that I, you know, again, I I don't expect everyone to have the Jedi level um, uh, perspective on the politics of the last you know, century that I do, but like he, he said something about, um, what kind of foreign policy you want. And he's like, Oh, I want a Winston Churchill foreign policy. And if if everybody, if anybody, if you have go R A I C O, just Google Ralph Rako, Winston Churchill, and you will find out, uh, you know, chapter and verse, just what a blood soaked monster, uh, Churchill was from world war one and world war two. He's the absolute worst. He just Um, gave good speeches. Yeah, he, that's yeah. it. That that's it. He he was a, a a colorful character who gave good speeches, but like he literally like advocated in World War One. I. I think he was part of the um, architect of like the policy of 
uh, blockading Germany to like starve um, um, just normal citizens. Yep. Uh, ask everybody in Australia, New Zealand about Gallipoli. Uh, you know, Pearl Harbor. There's a whole thing there. Yep. Uh, I think uh, um, uh, Buchanan wrote a book about that. But like, that's the whole thing of like, oh well, we need a strong man in times of crisis to uh, to rouse us to to doing violent patriotic things like you know if you actually think that's a a good answer to your foreign policy question then i i i question your seriousness or your morality so um i think i think people don't know yeah like they don't know how horrendous churchill was there's a lot of weird weird there's a lot of people who are uneducated about world war ii oh yeah Mm. charisma goes a long way and yeah. mythos, you know, when you when you got a bet the benefit of all the textbooks behind you, yep, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it forms it forms a mythos uh, that just kind of makes up the public consciousness of who that person was. Well, there, there's a very the, difficult thing to untangle. There's a famous quote. Somebody asked uh, and Churchill actually wrote a lot of books. He wrote a history of World War Two. He wrote a history of the English speaking peoples. And somebody asked him, he said, uh, how do you think? uh uh, history will will treat you and he's like oh pretty good because i intend to write it you know so like he <laughs> like he he yeah. uh, talk about controlling the narrative um he was a master at that brilliant brilliant guy i'd love to have a drink with him and a cigar but uh, i i mean th- for the same reason i wouldn't mind meeting a serial killer or something like that it's like just to see how weird this person is up close <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like someone like that, I try not to look at even historical figures as, like, all bad or all good. Because, like, I'm sure there might be, like, there's certain aspects that were bad and certain aspects that were probably good, probably in person. He might have been a cool dude, you know? I think people have this tendency to kind of paint people with, like, a very broad brush. And I don't know. I think humans are complex. (laughs) No one's going to say, you know, my favorite foreign policy president was Martin Van Buren or Grover Cleveland because they didn't have a lot of foreign policy going on. When when you think that, when you're asked that question, you're going to immediately jump to a conflict and usually going to be some sort of war or or crisis. And you're going to be like, that guy, I liked what he did with the horrible situation. I, I think it was good. It's unfortunate, but that's just, that's all you ever learn in school. There's no yeah. deep dive on a peaceful presidency. Yeah. FDR, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Abraham Lincoln. It's that kind of crap. Yeah. 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 Ralph Rako, R-A-I-C-O. <laughs> Google him and Churchill. And uh, I'll put something on the show notes page. Yeah. Uh, Decentralized Revolution slash 106. Um, so what else? What? what well, Is there the other, other stuff we want to talk about, or what's going well, on? The other, the other, the other big story I think is the debt ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. You know the uh, the WWE oh. plotline has you know has run its course. You know we we've uh, run the drama up until the last minute, and of course we have a deal. Um, and uh, the deal, oops, the deal uh, makes it so that there is no debt ceiling. Uh, period until um, January of 2025. So insane. Um, yeah. It's over um, a year. Huh. Yeah. Well, and, what, and what, I, what a coincidence. To, they made it January of 2025. I wonder why they <laughs> picked that date. I, I kind of wonder that too. I mean, I guess they both agree of like, well, we both want to, you know, raise spending or something like we're well, both not going to make cuts. And it's not going to be talked about in the election. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, let's just not 
you know that's the wwe aspect of it it's like it, the this is the storyline has run its uh, course and we don't need it until next season so well what if there's like a huge economic issue wouldn't it would it come back on the table of discussion well, let's, within let's, the next year i think what does it is what does it mean to not have a debt ceiling Probably about it's probably similar to not having a reserve requirement for the for the banks, <laughs> um, which, by the way, is Jeez. the case ever since COVID. But it, yeah. no, it just means that this this debate doesn't this this charade doesn't have to be, you know, trotted out again yeah. uh, amidst the uh, amidst the election. Now, there there was a couple things in there that um, I thought was interesting. You know, like one thing that's interesting is that apparently uh, gets rid of the the new IRS spending that biden was putting forward so, okay did it get rid of all of it i thought it was it the whole I, thing i from what i read that's gone so they, like, haven't that's, they already hired like eighty thousand new workers or or no no i think that if i remember correctly that was on the table but not ha has not actually happened yet okay. um what about all and, the cheesy training videos of those extremely not talented individuals i was thinking about holding this. I was like, firearms <laughs> like who who just decides like they want to become an irs agent like I, Psychopaths? I was like i was thinking about like like imagine like who goes into that field and is like you know what i want to do i want to audit Psychopaths. People. and that one <laughs> like, dude in a wheelchair he was low, you know what like you know what <laughs> some of them yeah, absolutely psychopaths but you know what the 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 allure of safety, I think, is a lot of it. You know, Government I mean, think job. about how cushy how cushy that job's got to be. You know, Do they get and paid it, well. It uh, seems have, so I mean, not cushy to me. I'm going to push back on this. Most of those jobs, you have to show up to work at 8 a.m. like every day. You have no flexibility in your schedule. It's like your office has got flickering fluorescent lighting. You don't have a window, or if you do, it's to the fifth level of a parking garage. Um, can you work you know, remote? You got <laughs> to share, share a Keurig with everyone else in the office. You know, the coffee is horrendous. Um, I don't understand the appeal. Like when people say security, I'm like, it seems like you show up every day to like the one of the upper levels of hell, like yeah. not really deep in there, but you're still in hell. I don't get it. Well, for some people, that's you know, their fear that, you know, what they value and that what they fear that that's a, that's a good option for them, but also it's a, uh, it's status. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, for some people, you know, like that. I mean, they, it sounds important. They have some power over someone else and they have, you know, good retirement benefits and, you know, the banality of evil, right? It's like, these people are, are not, uh, uh, evil masterminds they're just willing to do it's just like the guy who feels me up at the airport right like he he's not very uh imaginative and he's willing to debase himself uh to, to <laughs> right. molesting people for a steady paycheck because he doesn't want to work construction or something you know like i, I guess i can see the are we uh, doomed appeal so of that. this forbes article says debt deal cuts 21 billion of irs out of 80 billion 87,000 okay. new irs agents stay oh boo. So, okay i think I, I think i got got by the new york post then 
This, yeah, this That's is from Forbes. I don't know who's more trustworthy. They, they were already hired. They were already hired and training them. Yeah, I figured it wouldn't be all of it. There's no way they would have conceded to that. They'd already put out the training montage. We're gonna have a training montage. Remember that whole thing, you know? Oh, the the um, not then, very abled. I did guns. see the other the other one saying that it's something about the pipeline. Like pipeline. they put that in the. I don't want, I'm going to butcher it again. Oh, here we go. Oh. <laughs> Language that expedites the Apple Jacks. major. The Applejacks pipeline? Appala Appalachian? Uh, oh, Appalachian. 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 The Appalachian, Appalachian pipe pipeline? The alpaca Apparently, pipeline. they said that it could potentially push that forward. I don't know. That was one of the things that Republicans asked for. I love how it's like a wish list. Like, they're like, okay, like, we'll give you this if you guys let us do this and we get, like, these well, that, things. Well, that is. <laughs> they, they, they make it out to be like, listen, if we don't do something by, you know, June 1st, then your grandparents aren't getting Social Security. And how terrible is that? You know, you better just, you know, let us do whatever we want when there's all kinds of options of things that could be done. Oh, totally. You know, you could just, you could cut spending back to two years ago. Well, maybe not, maybe not COVID, but um you know to 2019 levels you could yep. sell assets you could sell land there's all kinds of stuff that could be done that uh it's just not explored because it's all about you know moving the uniparty agenda that forward of spending 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 for both sides they need to close all the national parks sell them sell the yeah. national parks <laughs> i think I, I heard recently that like was it uh Nevada, like eighty percent of Nevada is government land. Yep. Well, so a lot, shit. a lot of the West, not just Nevada, but like, you know, inland California, Montana, Wyoming. Like, it, it is a lot of that land is federal lands, and it, I think there's been all kinds of stuff over the years that, like, you know, they, you know, lease it for timber for people. So, like, there's corporate cronyism and stuff on that. But like, literally, like, I, I would love to see at some point you know, one of those states secede and basically tell the federal government, like, guess what? You don't own any of this crap anymore. You can come take all your crap off the Air Force Base or whatever. But uh, the rest of it, we're going to put it in a land trust for the citizens of the state or and or sell it off or something like that. Uh, well, because they say it's public, like a park is public, right? I produce events. It's very hard for like a business to even like if it's public, shouldn't it be land that we can use, right? Because, like, I'm a part of the public. We're all a part of the public. But, Funny like, how that it's works. <laughs> it's, it's actually very difficult for you to be able to, like, produce an event at a public park or do anything like that. They have a lot of barriers, at least in the state of Massachusetts, to make something like that happen. And a lot of rules and regulations for all of the, the lands that the – there's this one – square that is super cool that's owned by the government here and it's extremely hard to use it for anything yeah. so yeah it's like not public i'm sure it was a cakewalk putting on an event in dc yeah yeah what was that like angela getting your permits for oh my gosh um it's really it's really nerve-wracking uh there's people don't realize you know we've got a lot of criticisms from broke activist types i said it uh, who don't realize how expensive all this stuff is. So in order to get a permit, you've got to have tons of equipment. Everything's got, you've got to have like drawings. It's got to all be spec'd out. We needed insurance. You need like the requirements are like wild. You got to pay for a certain number of porter potties per every like few hundred people. You've got to pay for a medical tent and like a mini like ambulance cart. 
you've got to pay for what else um you've got to have certain types of security you got to interact with the police you got it was like three different police departments we had to coordinate for the whole thing it's wild it's so much work and it's so expensive um it's awesome and um, I'm excited <laughs> to do to do another one, but but yeah, it's not it's not very easy to to do something like that at the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Like oh, and you can't from kick Wayne's anyone out. Yeah, you can't kick anyone out either. So for for all the pushback we got about those evil people with Russian flags, we can't toss them out because it's public property. So they're all, they're entitled to be there. Yeah, the people who showed up for five minutes to for the photo ops and then left. All two right? of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How dare they? Yeah. Which is so if it's a protest, it's so weird that even if it's a protest, you have to have all of these guidelines. Yeah, that you need to follow. I was able to keep people out of the, the bicycle rack perimeter for, for VIP guests and all the equipment. But otherwise, like there's no keeping people out of the quote unquote, like event space. Hmm. I went to the uh, um, defeat the mandate protest yeah. in DC. That was really, I think it was at the same place, right? It was yeah. at the same place. Yeah. So, so spoiler, uh, we are working with the organizers of defeat the mandates to hold a really big badass event. Cool. Um, yeah. Next year. So that's going to happen. Nice. Yeah. You cool. need permission to protest. Someone in chat said, <laughs> like, you do. You it is do. crazy. Yeah. I mean, you can show sense. up. Well, you can show up, but as far as putting all that giant equipment there, like like we did, like you got to have permission. Tim can tell you all about it. He sat in on many, 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 many meetings, many meetings. We wouldn't have yeah. even been able to do it without Tim. I happen to to have uh, uh, hold Tim in very high esteem. He's a he's a nice guy, great guy, hard worker. Tim Tim is based Tim for chair twenty twenty four. He's Maryland, chair. right? Is he in Maryland? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, I, I I think that uh, the whole I, I don't know. I was gonna go. I was gonna make a January sixth joke, but probably not good. <laughs> um, now you gotta tell it. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> now you gotta tell it. You can't just be like, I was gonna, but now I'm not. Gonna no, I, I mean, I I would just be nervous, <laughs> like negotiating with Capitol Police and stuff. Like you know, every time yep. that. They said, oh, the deadly January 6th riot, only because Capitol Police shot an unarmed lady climbing through a window. Well, we had to, so thankfully I didn't deal with Capitol Police. I dealt with White House and Secret oh. Service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that which better? Is a little more chill. I would say the IQ level and the, the general competency level are probably a lot higher than your unionized uh, Washington, D.C. Police Department. So speaking of January 6th, everyone, please remember that the National Libertarian Party has a theme contest for our 2024 convention, which is in D.C. next year. Um, please go and vote. And there have been some interesting themes, including some Jan 6 or Jan 6 themes. So, uh, yeah, don't oh don't let us down. We, we need a good, I, exciting theme. I haven't looked at the themes, but um, is there one theme for like mostly peaceful where we just like put flames everywhere? <laughs> Let me see. That could that could happen. Could happen. You're not gonna get you're you're not gonna get uh, swindled out of your theme this this convention. So so are they up on the? Is it up on the site, Angela? I believe it is. Let's go to lp.org. Oh, if it's not yet, it might be that people are still submitting this month. I think they're still submitting for a couple more days, and then okay. we're going to be going to the website to vote. 
So um, get with your buddies, find out who submitted what, because we've got uh, several submissions. One already had like $2,000 thrown behind it, so it's going to be starting uh, starting ahead of the rest. But there has been a J6 theme, so be paying paying attention, watching for that one. That's my that's my favorite. Let's make it happen. I'll never forget forgive those. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say the word, but. Uh, begins with rat and ends with something that that what they did uh, uh, with the theme last convention, it was Liberty yes. Unmasked and they did yes. like the drama mask, right? Because that's what we were talking about. Yes. Of unmasking the people. Mask. Oh, yeah, we're not yes. doing that. We're not we're not screwing you over. We're not going to find out. Oh, January 6th turns out it's also National Hot Dog Day. You know, you're not going to have that happen. <laughs> well, actually, there's it's probably I, I would be surprised if there's even one person on the on the list uh who who knows well first of all january 6th is often orthodox christmas which i always uh, it's a sorry this is going to be a downer but i have a friend who was from serbia who every christmas i would email him merry christmas he would email me january 6th merry christmas um but he died he got pneumonia and went into the hospital and got COVID and died in 2020 so january 6th i always think of my friend surgeon but I also think it's uh, the fictional birthday of Sherlock Holmes on January 6th. And they'll never take that away from me. So, and it's, uh, Yeah, like you said, the it's the epiphany, the epif- epiphany in yeah, for, Catholicism, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, it's yeah. Not, like, it's not like there's Christmas and there's the epiphany, but then in the Eastern Orthodox, it's their well, Christmas, right? As far as I'm concerned, it's like a national shitposting holiday <laughs> where anything is allowed on political accounts. That's my view oh, of January yeah. 6th. Yeah, I, I when that happened, that's gonna I get clipped. Was like, I actually was trying to be very nuanced, and I was like, "You guys, like, maybe this isn't what you think it is." And I'm in mass, so I have a lot of people that are very far left, and I got like attacked heavily. So the people were very emotional about that day. <laughs> emotional damage. <laughs> There's a lot of emotional <laughs> damage there. Uh, <laughs> what's next, Mike? Oh, uh, I think we got the, um, let's see here, the uh, high school debate story that you put up. Oh, yeah, that Barry Weiss posted. The, Intellectualism um, is, is thriving in our, our government-owned school systems. Yeah, yes. apparently they are making it so that you can't, or if you debate certain topics that they don't ideologically agree with, you will not you you will lose basically so what's so what's the story so for the one that barry weiss post i'm not sure is it the same one that you're talking about angela i think so okay just throw it out there um, hold it up hold it up I'm there it up. was one of the judges said that she was a, a marxist Leninist Maoist. I thought Maoist was a very interesting addition there. I was like, you're openly a Maoist. I feel like if you say that you're a Maoist, you should just automatically be treated like, like you're saying you're a Nazi. Because didn't he technically kill more people than Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> uh, by a good margin. There's yeah. a lot more like, people to kill uh, like, in China. Fuck. So it's it's like a it's a, an authoritarian's wet dream. Like, oh, yeah. I can kill everyone. Um. At high school debates, debate is no longer allowed. At national tournaments, judges are making their stances clear. Students who argue capitalism can reduce poverty or Israel has the right to defend itself will lose, no questions asked. Um, Person said, 
the, what this judge said before anything else, including being a debate judge, I'm a Marxist-Leninist Laoist. I cannot check the revolutionary proletarian science at the door when I'm judging. I will no longer evaluate and thus never vote for rightist, capitalist, imperialist positions and arguments. And people were also saying that like things that are harming that harm minorities like but that's like broad like broad yeah. stroke there yeah this i don't is, know why i'm i'm is debate white still right well how do you how do you even make it that. to it how do you make it to a judge at that point like why wouldn't you just like I, I I don't believe in this, and I resign. Like you have to make it maximum drama to where you get to the debate. I guess like is that the story? Like they like they got to the debate, and then they have the debate, and then this person just stole the show of like debate she is whiteness, won. and I won't stand for this. Right, like she won debates because she was the national debate champion. Oh, before, <laughs> before anything else, including being a debate judge, I'm a Marxist Leninist Maoist. She can't yeah. she can't check her beliefs at the door when judging. I will no longer evaluate and thus never vote for anything that might be right-wing arguments. So that means you can't even debate those topics because she won't vote for anything in favor of them ever. Like she won't ever. So, so if it's about like capitalism is good or bad or capitalism is bad, like you can't even have the debate because she yeah. won't. So um, then we just, we just won't debate ideas. I'd like to hear her argument against the uh, uh, economic calculation problem. See how brilliant that is. Uh, there are countless judges at tournaments across the country whose biased paradigms disqualify them from impartial, uh, the impartialness of debate from I will drop America first framing in a heartbeat to I will listen to conservative leaning arguments, but be careful. Like, there is a very clear argument against the calculation problem. And that is that it is Caucasio-normative. Right. <laughs> okay. What the fuck? It, I, yeah. Oh, wow. The, and there's some in Massachusetts. This is fun. But, but yeah. Re I, I really, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a, emblematic of stuff that goes on. But I'm, I'm really, if, uh, if debate is ruined for those kids, I'm not really uh, losing any sleep over that. Like, I mean, I think debate is extremely important, especially uh, when it comes. Didn't you take school? Uh, yeah. I, well, if this is is this public school or is this like a program that is involved, like an outside program that's involved in all of these schools? I don't know. That, that's that's unclear, you know, because because Teddy Gherkin, the chair of the Youth Caucus, um, who is a Mises guy, he was a national debate champion in just the last Last year, I think that's why he wasn't at Reno. Shout out to Teddy. If you're in okay, college. I take it back, Teddy. <laughs> yeah, and Angela, didn't you say you did debate? I did in college, not in high school. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I feel like it's important. I I wish I had debate in my high school because I feel like that's a very good skill set to have What's to be summer? able to argue these points. But now you can't even argue certain points. Well, yeah. if you if you don't have debate and you don't have communication what are you left with yeah you know what i mean you're left with just a power struggle you know like that's and that's what they're Violence. attempting to turn this into you know and and the the this anti-intellectualism is being inculcated at, at such a i mean in high schools now you know and then even further than that when you see all the woke stuff in like the the, the, the children's books so they're doing everything they can to indoctrinate kids make them dumb so that they can't argue back and think for themselves and then uh, move them through society for political purposes. 
I mean, it's really, really sick when you when you look at it that way. Yeah, this and I thought says... debate you're supposed to be impartial. Like you you pick a topic and it, it doesn't have to be something you agree with. It could be something you don't agree with, and you yeah. But the the imperialists won the war, so you would want to be impartial. Yeah, this is <laughs> like... about well, this is about style. It's not even about the point you're using. Debate judge whatever her name. Uh, if you're discussing immigrants in a round and describe the person as illegal, I will immediately stop the round, give you the loss with low speaker points, give you a stern t lecture, and then talk to your coach. I will not have you making the debate space unsafe. Wait, so now because... they're policing your speech in the debate, not even your point of view. You can't so, use the term illegal. But like, how would you classify an immigrant that wasn't legal? Excuse me, <laughs> undocumented. On, on, oh, uh, uh, undocumented. On oh. this on this Sorry. podcast, no Ooh. human is illegal, Brandy. I, I, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't didn't you read that in the orientation packet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like I, I use the phrase and then I say, well, that I, I'm, well, I don't want to get into borders because well, this, well, this, can, this can edge off. into another, another story that we had on there of Roy Cooper in North Carolina, um, declaring a state of emergency on school choice. Um, I don't know who brought, which one of you guys brought that story forward, but I guess we could talk about school choice. Um, yeah, cause I know there's a debate it. coming up between, on, yeah. on the uh, Soho forum between uh, who, who was it there? So uh, yeah, give me a chance to promote uh, episode 107 of decentralized revolution is me talking to Gene Epstein. That should be out Wednesday of this week, nice. which would be the 31st. Uh, but he just did a, a debate um, this past Monday, but he's got one coming up. It's Corey DeAngelis versus Stefan Kinsella on uh, should oh, libertarians yeah. support vouchers. And I, I'm really torn on this, but um I, uh, I, it's going to pretty everything the state touches it ruins. And so I'm, while I'd love to see teachers unions take it, um, uh, uh, I, yeah, on the chin, I guess I'll say, um, the, um, I, I think that eventually vouchers will lead to worse outcomes. Uh, but I'm willing to listen to the other side, but, um, uh, so what's the story that, uh, the, what do you say, North Carolina or whatever? What's going on there? Roy Cooper. Yeah, the governor declared a state of emergency this week in an attempt to prevent a school choice bill from passing the state legislature, even though his own children go to private school. Ugh. Per usual, Elizabeth Warren, same story. Hate school so choice. Nice. Kids go to private school. Like, oh, but you, you, it's okay. School choice is only okay when you have the finances to fund it like when you can financially pay for your child to go so to basically he's school. he's pulling some kind of procedural thing to prevent a, a vote on this is Trying that what to. it is I, I can't tell if it's just like is it just rhetoric or is he actually like is he genuinely calling a state of emergency? No, he, he declared <laughs> monday that public education in north carolina is facing a state of emergency in the face of extreme legislation being promoted by republican state lawmakers yeah. But Aaron, you said that you actually are against vouchers. Um, I'm a, yeah, if I had to pick and I could be persuaded maybe differently, but like basically if the government pays for it, all the regulations come in. So that's why that, you know, a, a college like Hillsdale College that takes no people with student loans or anything, that's the only way they can uh, avoid having to do all the federal mandates and stuff on that but so like basically if you're a charter school or a private school and you take a kid who gets who uses a government voucher 
then the state is going to say you have to do X, Y, and Z on diversity and hiring and uh, curriculum and all that stuff. Well, that's why we got to get rid of that too. Yeah, but they already, (laughs) they already have um, standards for curriculums and stuff like that. So Arizona's school choice bill is very, very radical. Florida's is not so much. It really depends on what type of, of bill you pass that, it tells the government how much so, how much input it can have. Corey and, Corey's an expert on it. Yeah. Right. And let's I mean, let's just state it up front. I, I I'm pretty sure we all agree that the libertarian position is the privatization of the, the school system. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Absolutely. we're we're talking about real world application and is this a step forward or For, not? And yeah. you know, we're we're talking about the margins. The way I tend to look at it is if I was if I was a, a an elected libertarian in a in a state legislature, would I vote against it? Would I oppose it? Yeah, not. not you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And and when you look at it from that way, like because when you say should libertarians um support it, I no, I I don't think that we should be out there saying well the libertarian position is school vouchers. That's not true. But do we think that it would it would like you actually said that you think it would produce worse outcomes? I guess that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think it will produce better outcomes in the short term. And what I'm very interested in is seeing the the Department of Education chipped away in the short term uh, so that we can potentially abolish it. Um, anything that we can do and, and at the at the state level as well. Uh, ultimately, I think everybody needs to be pulling their kids out of school and homeschooling. I also feel that way about most public school or private schools because yeah. Most of the people who teach in private schools were educated in public schools and also received the same gross indoctrination that has been going on in academia since the 1960s. I think it's yeah. all a wash. Trash it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against like Brian Kaplan wrote a book called The, the Case Against Education. I'm also yep. against education. Education is something that's done to you. Learning is something you do for yourself. Yeah. So yeah. like I'm I'm totally against like organized schooling. Uh, for homeschooling, unschooling, life schooling, like all that yeah, stuff, like putting kids in rows and teaching them out yeah. of a book. Uh, and even if you got 10 kids in a classroom, you're still compromising and you're putting all the kids into the thing. I've taught before and it's impossible. It, it, it just, it can't work. It's, it's babysitting is all it is. Yeah. And that's why the most Americans support it. It's free babysitting. Oh, totally. That's why everybody yeah. freaked out during the lockdowns when they lost schools. They were yeah. like, what? No, my kid, I can't do this. I can't watch my kids. Yeah. I can't be responsible. Sad. for. So Sad. one thing that would help, like what you said, how you think it would have worse outcomes. I actually was looking at this bill before the local control of education act. If that ever got passed, which probably wouldn't, uh, it would prohibit, uh, prohibit the federal government from mandating and incentivized states to adopt specific standards or assessments. It would allow states and local school districts to set their own policies and prior priorities based on the needs of their students and communities, which I feel like something yeah. like that would help some, a voucher system. Work. And and that so gets to what that that gets to what Angela was saying. It really is specific to the details of the of the, yep. the bill that's passed. Like it's the same thing in gun sanctuaries. Like not all gun sanctuary bills are the same. Yep. Um, and some of them are more radical than others. Where it's just you get the money. Um, I think Arizona is like this. You you get the voucher. Um, and you can as long as it meets the the minimum requirements, like already the case. Um, you could just pay for a homeschool curriculum and yep and that's it and if that's how it is i would i would say yeah i mean we we should again not say that it's the libertarian answer but we should support it or if we were elected we should we should vote for that if that came across our desk because now you're providing an easier off-ramp out of the, out the of. 
the it's like yeah. getting out of yeah. that. And I, and I do think it is a it is a short term fix. Yeah. I think the long term solution is for people to c completely radically look at look at education learning as Aaron would want to call it in a completely different light yeah. and move it back to, you know, to the home private, private tutelage, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. And if, and if I was running for governor or something like that on the libertarian ticket, I'd say, okay, um, instead of vouchers, we're going to have tax rebates. So it, you just get all your property taxes back. Yep. And if you don't, if you don't have children um, that if you want to pay someone else's educational bills, then you get that as a, direct one-to-one -one write off on your taxes up, you know, or up. And if you had to limit it, like up to 50% of your tax bill. So rather than pay five, uh, you know, five grand to uh, Tennessee, Oh wait, Tennessee doesn't have an income tax, which is why I moved here. But, um, but uh, you know, in other words, it, since education is so important, if private citizens want to pay for other people, their education or learning or whatever, then that's how you do it. It's just, tax rebates I, I would say let's let, let's get that bill up on the uh 10th amendment center's website yeah yep. let's, I'll, I'll see i need to give mike maharia a call anyway i, I like question to, for rand him, paul he uh he had a a push tried to get a bill through that was um a school choice bill that i liked a lot because it also included homeschooling um, yeah that's, but i think that's it was kind of yep. a i think it was more of like a voucher system where you were well because what how I guess because a voucher wouldn't really be like you getting the cash back, that which would be the difference between a tax rebate, correct? Right. I don't think well, it's you getting the cash back. I think it's getting you – you're getting your portion of the general taxes. Am I right there? Like the, the, the general taxes that go to school and therefore how much your share of the school bill is comes yeah, back. Which, is, is that is that I, right, Angela? I think so. Yeah, I – I think so too. I know it is wild though per student how much money the government spends for on public oh, schools. Oh, it's totally nuts. In mass, I think it's like close to 20,000 per pupil. Like and you probably wouldn't even get the entirety of that back. I think you would just get like a portion of it, yeah, but like it's, still. <laughs> it's like an it's like an HSA. Like you get you get money designated you only get to spend it on X, Y, and Z, certain things. You don't get to spend it, however. I, a tax I will, rebate would be just straight, get your money back. Yeah. I will certainly grant you this, Aaron. If you were right, and it creates these tentacles where it's like, ha-ha, now we have increased government control of the homeschool uh, uh, curriculums and we fooled you, then, yeah, yeah. I would I would agree yeah. with you. 10% you know I mean? like, of your student body must be trans by 2026. <laughs> 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 So let's let's wrap. I mean, we're coming up against time. So stay, staying on the I'm curious. Um, I suspect I know the answer here. Let's let's wrap on this kind of going around sticking on the school thing, because I've been, you know, like I said, I've got my first kid, Angela, you just had your first kid. Um, you know, it's it's had me thinking of like. Is there anything literally anything that I learned in government run school that is applicable to my life? And and like like. I, I can't think of one thing and, and I can think of all of these things that I would want my kid to get out of an education and none of it is available. Not, I mean, in today's age, I'm going to want them to know how to use AI. I'm going to want them to know how to, to run a website. I'm going to want them to know entrepreneurship skills, how to invest, you know, like how to start a business, you know, like, like none of this is, is available in school. I, I will say, okay. So I'll say, I think I might have been lucky in the high school that I went to, but um, 
one thing is they let me do independent studies so I could in, I could basically create my own curriculum for a class for things that weren't taught so like I made a philosophy one and things like that but like beyond that I think uh it was desktop publishing back then which now would be called graphic design so that I think was valuable that's something that I use now and uh also um my economics class wasn't bad I learned about stocks we got to do like mock stocks and stuff I learned a little but bit they, about that but did they did they teach you about stocks in the abstract or did they teach you here's what you should look for in, in when you're invested we in, were like, we practical were, we had our own stocks like in real stocks like we were picking our own stocks and basically deciding how much money we it was fake money obviously but like deciding how much money we were putting in and learning from that way i mean obviously i'm i'm being very 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 uh what's the word nice <laughs> about this like i'm just saying out of everything art is the one thing that i probably yeah. learned the most because um, I'm an artist and in, in all facets of my monetary life, I, I use that. So I guess that's about it. But other than that, no. So let's see if I can remember them. Igneous, sedimentary, and metamorph. I don't know if it's metamorphical or it's, it's, it's metamorphic something. Metamorphic, rocks. I think. Yeah, metamorphic, yeah. metamorphic rocks. Igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic rocks. Um, every cumulus time, clouds. cumulus and cirrus cumulonimbus. Every time I walk outside and I see a rock, I'm like, "What is it?" <laughs> that's, that's that's it. That's my public school experience. <laughs> that's what, that you apply Rocks that every clouds. day. Rocks and clouds. Oh, what else? What else? Frozen tundra. Remember the ground types. Taiga tundra. Taiga tundra. tundra. Yeah. Uh, I only the, remember the weird ones. The mito. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Okay, so that one I've like I've, I've had to deal with, you know, with my like medical stuff as an as an adult. But uh, I still like, don't know what it means, but I know that. Well, so. What grows in frozen tundra? Lichens. Yeah. Lichens grow in frozen tundra. No, but like most of the stuff that that this we're naming here is stuff that. This is the stuff. And like brandy. Stuff. Like, I'm sure that, like, you would have picked up your art stuff, like, elsewhere. Like, so, so that's the thing. Like, as far as what you actually have to sit through in in public school, the stuff you could also. I had a great art teacher. Well, I'll yeah, say that but, much. but you, you uh, but uh, the chances are that in a completely libertarian world, that art teacher is going to have uh, his own sort of art studio, and only the kids who want to do art are going to show up. And so it's going to be even better oh, than yeah, for sure. so yeah yeah so my in, argument in, isn't that public school is good i actually was homeschooled uh for half of my elementary school experience but i actually i have mixed feelings about homeschool i'm more into like the homeschooling pods i do yeah. think that socialization is really important um and having people be around each other because i would say that that was probably the worst part of homeschooling but the one benefit um, I think I got from my homeschooling experience was like independent learning and yeah. like having the desire and the curiosity to like independently learn things, which is why when I went to public school, I was one of like the only people that went and used their independent study program or mm. nobody else used that. But I think that was because I it, home being homeschooled genuinely gave me like a curiosity to learn. 
which I think is important and isn't really instilled in people in public schools. You're just yeah, kind of like parroting. You're not. It's stamped out of them. It's yeah. follow, follow the rules, spit back what they want you to know to, so you can make it to the next level and try not to get bullied or sexually harassed or, you know, <laughs> robbed by the other kids. Like that's like Michael Malice says, schools are literal p- prisons for children. And for a lot of people, it's the only place that they're going to experience like personal violence or the threat of personal violence. Um, yep. it's, wasn't it's it the, wasn't it created uh, to create factory workers like the yeah. current public school system? Pretty much. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It's sort of modeled after the prison system. Yeah. But so we like, are. Yeah. We're out of time. But yeah, John Taylor Gatto, learn, read his stuff on that. But that's why there's a bell and you go from place to place. It's like a factory. Yeah. But yeah, we are up against time. Uh, I think first show, the new format went well. Um, so let's uh, let's do plugs. Yeah. Angela, tell us about your uh, your event tomorrow and anything else uh, you got going on that people need to know about. We're doing a live stream tomorrow night. I think it's 7 Central. At, uh, you can follow it on all of our Twitter. Or, sorry, all of our socials. So Libertarian National Party on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, if you're interested in joining the party, if you need to renew your membership, some of you in the comments, some of you need to renew your membership, please visit lp.org uh, and uh, hit us up. We'd love to see a $5 a month commitment from our members. Let's let's make it happen. Yep. Brandy. Uh, I, you can see me on Twitch uh, at Creatrix. I stream video games and also at Creatrix underscore TTV on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Mike. And Michael, Michael Heiss at Mises Chair on Twitter. I'm going to get around to uh, using Twitter at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, join the Libertarian National Party, lp.org slash join. It's $25 for uh, one year membership. You guys can afford that. Come on, let's be honest. You can afford $25 a year. That's like what, uh, two dollars a month, two dollars and thirty cents a month. Uh, you can do it. Uh, help, you know, if you support the uh, the Mises Caucus takeover, we got to pump the numbers up. We could use your help, make us help, make us look good. And then, likewise, with the uh, Project Decentralized Revolution, the local strategy, the nullification strategy. If you want to support all of that, go to uh, takehumanaction.com and become a monthly donor to the Mises Caucus for as little as five dollars a month. Or at the very least, go to MisesMerch.com and grab a shirt. Yep. Yeah, so uh, DecentralizedRevolution.com slash 106 is the show notes page for today. I'll have that up hopefully tomorrow. Um, and then uh, episode with Gene Epstein coming up in a day or two. Uh, Liam McCollum has interviewed Dan McKnight. So that's episode 108 coming in a few days too. Um, also, I'm very rarely on Twitter because it's uh, it's just a, it's horrible. It makes me, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but uh, if you want to suggest uh, future guests or anything like that, I'm at Liberty Aaron, double A-R-O-N on uh, Twitter. So um, uh, hit me up there and uh, yeah, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you next Monday. Peace.